Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Radio's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon B.K. Kiley. This is Before the Box Score, your post-big recruiting visit weekend a dish, even though nothing's happened yet. But it seemed to go well. B.K., how are you doing? I'm doing well. It seems like everything is rending in the right direction when it comes to the recruiting trail for Mizzou. This was the big weekend where they had to do well, so... As long as it continues to trend in that direction, all is well in Mizzou land. And I mean, again, no one has committed. It's been two days since the weekend yeah. is over. You don't really expect them to commit that day. That's not how recruiting works anymore because, you know, you got to go get your, your, your social media guy. You know, create the graphic, create the two-minute video for you to say that you're going to go to a specific school uh, with the most likely intent of transferring within two years. So, like, it's a it's a special process, and I, you know, we're not going to take that away from it, but it's not an instant thing like it used to be. So you do have to kind of wait. You do have to be patient. But I don't know, man. It sounds like there's a lot of crystal ball locks going in in the recruiting sites that have put some kids towards Missouri. There was a lot of Twitter action late on Saturday night with a lot of staff tweeting out stuff about how great Mizzou is and things are happening at the zoo and the players are – you know, retweeting with the eye emoji. So it's going to happen. And it's probably going to happen in the next two weeks. And it's probably going to be a lot of good news. And frankly, at this point, it doesn't matter if it's a four-star, five-star, or a three-star. Let's just get some dudes uh, committing to the class so that we have more than three. Uh, we can start feeling better about recruiting and the efforts that the staff is doing. But let's we're going to start talking about recruiting. We've got some other stuff that we can touch on, too. And again, it's you're in summer and things just shut down on recruiting, so we're going to stretch this out as much as we can. But let's review some Twitter news that we have gotten on the recruiting front. The first one that we want to knock out is all the guys who decided not to come to our school because they're silly. Gavin Hoffman is a big old tight end that uh, is a bit of a legacy recruit. Now, when you are a big, fat tight end, there's a couple places that you can go to school that you'll probably end up in the NFL. And one of those schools is Iowa. And so Gavin Hoffman is going to Iowa because that's what Iowa does. They put big, fat, white dudes in the NFL. So from a career standpoint, yes, that is probably the smart choice. Although, come on, come back to Mizzou, man. We'll get you on the end around. Uh, BK, how, how sad are you that we're not going to have Gavin Hoffman, at least for the next couple of years? Yeah, it stinks. But, I mean, let's be honest. If I'm a tight end, like I would do the same thing that Gavin Hoffman did. They put these guys into the NFL. And... This is a big guy. You're right into the characterization of him, but he is very much in the like George Kittle vein of being an athletic freak. Like he claims to have like a 40 plus inch vertical, runs really quickly, uh, is ridiculously strong. Like everything you could ask for in a classic Iowa tight end, he's pretty much got that stuff in spades. So it makes all the sense in the world. I'm not surprised this is the direction that it ended up going. I don't blame him whatsoever. I, too, would probably pull the same trigger if I was in his spot. So I get it. Makes sense. And then Zyron Brown goes to Stanford. Again, it would have been nice to have. He had spoken very highly about Missouri uh, after his visits. But, you know, Stanford's building something new. Troy Taylor, uh, FCS call-up, the offensive wonder guy. You know, it's there's an allure there, plus... He's never lost a game at Stanford, so the momentum is nothing but positive. It's, it's Stanford. It's Stanford. Get your degree, man. <laughs> it's gonna the be guy had Mizzou, Georgia Tech, which is a tremendous school academically, in Stanford and his top three. 
I think we're, it's pretty clear what he was looking for. He wanted a great college education and you can't go wrong by going to Stanford in that direction. Yeah. Missouri is fine institution of, of higher learning, but yeah, Stanford is next level. So good for him. Now let's get to the guys who we're actually interested in. And there's a lot of these dudes that are going to be committing really in the next couple of days. Um, BK, let's just go one by one here. Yeah. Try and uh, give your thoughts and, and talk about what's going to happen. The first one that's going to be on the docket, most likely, is Jackson Hancock. He has announced that he is going to commit on June 30th, which as we record is June 27th, so that's this Friday. Crystal Ball says Mizzou. BK, how does that make you feel? Good. I mean, this is a kid that's coming out of the Georgia area, and we know that Mizzou has had some success down there in the past. He is currently unranked on the Rivals site. Some of his other big offers, and I say big in quotation marks, are App State, Charleston Southern, Eastern Kentucky, and Georgia Southern. So we'll see, right? Like, they're they're clearly taking the shot on this kid. But he's 6'1", a buck 85, and he plays in the defensive backfield. Blake Baker, have at him, my friend. Let's see what you can do. Mold this piece of clay with your hands, and let's see where it ends up. His... I've just seen briefly some of his film, super physical, um, plays the style of game that you would expect from a Blake Baker defensive player. My guess is this is another one of those guys that projects to be like that star position. He kind of fits into that same style of player, and certainly the size plays into that as well. So um, good get, and we'll see what they can make out of it. Not a huge get. This is not like a five-star player, but you need guys like this. You need to be able to find some under-the-radar gyms, and hopefully you're able to make them into something when they get there. Yeah. App State, Georgia Southern, good programs. Yep. They they recruit solid players. And, of course, Gary Pinkle made a living off of finding those guys. So, you know, it's – if it's a reach, it's a reach, you know. Uh, if you see something that you like, go for it. You know, it's, it's high school recruiting in the year 2023. You're losing half this roster next year anyway. Fill it with guys who you think you want to work with, who seem to should be interested in just letting it all shake out. So here's a question for you, Nate. What's kind of in relation to Hancock and what his recruitment is? Because you mentioned, like, see what it, see what it ends up being, right? Do you, because of the transfer portal being the way that it is now, and how often you can go to that to be able to get like high floor guys, where you're pretty pretty sure what you're getting with them, especially guys that have been in school for a few years. Would you gear more of your recruiting to high upside high school players because of that? That is interesting. Does that make sense? I mean, if they don't work out, you can just pour a little guy in. Right. You know? And you're, like, the guys that you're bringing in through the transfer portal, you're assuming are going to play right away for the most part. And these guys that you're bringing in, like a Hancock, for example, maybe they are more of a project. And it's going to take them two or three years to really become the player that you want them to be. I'm not saying you don't go out there and get four and five stars where you can. Obviously, you target those guys first. But if you end up missing out on some of that, I could see a a case to be made of maybe it makes more sense to try some more of these guys that are athletes. That's what they're listed at on Rivals. And let's just see where they end up. 6'1 to 6'3, buck 85 to 205, can play receiver, corner, safety, defensive back, like, Let's see how their bodies develop over the next three years, and we'll kind of work with them. Yeah, I mean, if you're a if you're a middle of the pack kind of kind of team that is going to be the landing spot of blue chippers who can't get on the field at the blue blood programs, 
and you know you can get those guys, yeah, knock yourself out. If that is your high school recruiting strategy, I'm fine with it. Um, again, the four and five stars are nice. Yeah, uh, target those first. Yeah, you want to get those guys. Uh, but if you are if you are looking at a couple more, if you're looking at more projects now because you feel like you have some space to explore the room and bring in some some uh, player-ready guys, who, you know, if they don't work out because it's not a huge risk for you, then that's fine. I, I understand the logic. Um, but that would be it would be weird if that was the only way you did it. But if you expand that type of to your reach to that type of player, I get it. So yeah. And of course, you know, he still has an entire senior year to go. You know, it could be that he just didn't make it in any camps or he just started playing football. You know, there's a lot of reasons why some of these guys are unranked, and it's not always because they stink, right? That's not always the case. So I'm good with it. We still have, you know, another 12 months to see what this guy can do. Um and of course, you know, just any recruiting news is good recruiting news. There's that. Um, from the list of guys who seem to be recruiting next, I think it's going to be Nick Rodriguez, who said he's going to be July 3rd. BK, I know you like watching Nick Rodriguez's game. Tell me about what you've seen so far. Dude, he's really fun. I, I really like Nick Rodriguez a lot. Um, as I was watching him, it was like, okay, yeah, this is the kind of linebacker that you need in your program. He's going to play the will. He's going to be on the weak side. He's going to blow things up in the backfield. He can blitz. He can play in coverage. He's going to do a little bit of everything. Um, I, I am really excited about this one. He plays for a tremendous program at St. Thomas Aquinas down in Florida. They were a top 10 program in the country this year, again, as they are perennially. So first of all, it's a great program to have a little bit of a tie-in. Um, and to be able to get a four-star from a program that every team in the country is recruiting, I think it shows you that he sees he can play right away at Mizzou. I think that's what this is. I think this is a, okay, Chad Bailey's gone. Tyron Hopper's gone. There might be some serious playing time available for me in 2024. I don't know if he's a guy that starts right away. It's really hard. It's really hard to start in the SEC right away. But... Could he be a starter by year two? I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. I mean, Xavier Simmons will only be a redshirt freshman. Damian Wilson will be a third-year sophomore. And we've shot nothing from those guys. We have no we've idea if they're good players. Chuck Hicks is going to be gone no matter whether he's good this year or not. Tyron Hopper is going to be gone. Chad Bim is going to be gone. Behind that, you have the intrigue, mystery, enigma, Tristan Newsom, who's apparently the best linebacker we've ever seen, who's not played a snap yet. Uh, redshirt freshman Carmica Glass, and then of course incoming red or incoming freshman, I should say, my favorite name in the world, Brayshawn Littlejohn. So it is kind of a black hole once you get past those three upperclassmen. So I get it. I think it makes a lot of sense. And if he if he's half as good as you sound, make him sound like it could it could be a very intriguing uh, freshman backup, uh, if you will. So that's pretty cool. Uh, then we move on to get an offer. He had, it sounds like he had a legit committable offer from Ohio State. Like this, this is a good player that Mizzou was able to get here. Um, Ninety-three tackles, ten for loss, five sacks, an interception, two forced fumbles. This guy is productive. He is fun. He is a very good football player. Uh, he he reminds me of Teresol. Mm. Underrated. Very good player. Heat seeking missile, that kind of one. God, I love Terrence Hall's game. Um, yeah, so let's hope. Uh, again, crystal ball to Missouri. We'll figure out on the 3rd of July whether that comes true or not. Uh, after that, we got a couple of 4th of July folks. Cameron Keys, 
James Madison. Now, James Madison is a, a social media darling. He seems to have a lot of fun uh, interacting with fans, which this is this is the time you get to do that. Um, live it up, go nuts. Very interesting follow, very intriguing, uh, active kind of dude. Karen uh, Keyes is also another good player, and he has also been crystal balled to Missouri. Now, when you say crystal ball, it's just it's the it's the, re- the recruiting sites they come together and they do a you know, projection of where they think the, the player is going based off of conversations that they've had with the players, with the coaches, that sort of thing. So that's that's all this is. This isn't like a confirmed thing. It's just we feel very strongly about this. So Cameron Keys, James Madison, Fourth of July could be a really big day. BK, tell us about it. Okay, let's start with uh, James Madison. Hey, do you like getting top 250 players in the country that play for St. Thomas, St. Thomas Aquinas that are six foot four and 205 pounds and play the receiver position? I'm personally kind of into that. Um, this would be a really big get. A really, really, really big get. He is the type of wide receiver. Man, when was the last time that Mizzou had a 6'4", 200-pound wide receiver? Uh, Marcus Lucas and DGB. I, I compared him to Bud, uh, Bud Sasser. Ooh, that, that kind of a player. We're just... Pretty smooth, not like a burner by any stretch of the imagination, but beats guys deep and wins 50-50 balls. Um, I think that's who James Madison's going to be at the next level. Really solid all-around player. So that's kind of the way that I would project him. It would be a really big get for Mizzou. This is a a big-time wide receiver prospect. Um, As for Keys, six foot, buck 60, plays corner. Blake Baker, have at it, my friend. <laughs> like that's so, sometimes you don't have to like really go too deep on these guys. It's just uh, we'll see what it looks like. And at corner, that's kind of what it's been. It's been roulette of tall, long, lanky, very thin. Let's see who ends up working out from this group types of guys. Yeah, and kind of unheralded guys too. You know, yeah. look at look at our, the cornerback room that we currently have. Chris Abrams Drain used to be a wide receiver. Uh, I mean, Enos Rickshaw was always a corner, and he was kind of a big name, but Marcus Clark, kind of unheralded from Miami. Drayden Norwood was a quarterback in high school. You know, like, that's kind of Blake Baker's jam. Get those blue-collar nasty dudes who want to get up in your grill and fight you. And, it, you know, worked one year, and if that's his type, then I'm all about that. So, yeah, if, if he likes Cameron Keys, I like Cameron Keys. And, you know, as far as James Madison – you know the the best thing about that 2013 Missouri offense was that it had you know you know three power forwards playing receiver and you just chucked it up there. That's why Matty Mock looked so awesome. That was his that was his entire game. Chuck it and have someone grab it. Um, so if you want to build a receiving core that's a little bit taller, it's a little bit more aggressive. I'm all about that. And he's James Madison the second. Come on, the son of our fourth president. Like that's some good money right for NIL. I mean, I'm just that's great. That's great. So. Let's hope that both those guys come to Missouri, uh, pick the good guys, and then make that happen. Outside of that, you have uh, some guys who are uh, projected to go to Mizzou, but we haven't quite figured out their commitment dates. Linebacker Brian Huff, uh, Jude James, who's an athlete, and then, of course, running back uh, Johan Cardenas, who's between uh, us, Missouri, and Vanderbilt. Those three guys, it's we're not totally sure uh, when it's going to happen or if it's going to happen, but... I don't know, man. I like Jude James' game. What did you think of the three that we just mentioned here? So I I saw Hoff was a mid-July guy. Um, So at some point in the next few weeks, it sounds like. One other player that I would throw into this mix, uh, Justin Bodford is a defensive tackle. Also, sensing a theme here, from St. Thomas Aquinas. 
Um, he is expected to announce on July 2nd as well. So you could see like a trifecta of St. Thomas Aquinas guys that are committing to Mizzou within the next week or two. So that's nice to have. Huff was a guy that I watched a decent amount of. And man, like when I say Mizzou has a type on defense, this is what I mean. He's six foot three, 225 pounds, and he plays linebacker. Here are Mizzou's recent linebacker commits over the last two classes. Xavier Simmons, 6'3", 215. Carmica Glass, 6'4", 210. Tristan Newsom, 6'2", 225. That was a Juco kid. He added some weight. And then Brayshawn Littlejohn, 6'2", 220. Like, they want guys at the linebacker position that have length and that have range. And when you combine those two things, what you can become is Tyron Hopper. Like, that's, that's what they want. They want all of their linebackers to be Tyron Hopper because what it allows you to do is play that amoeba defense where everybody can do a little bit of everything. What are they going to do on any given play? You just don't know. Like, is Tyron Hopper going to be a blitzer? Is he going to drop into coverage? Is he going to fill like, like there are, there are stunts that you can do with him. He can play on the edge. He can line up anywhere and then he can end up anywhere. And that's what they would like with a guy like Brian Huff. Um, so I think that's kind of the idea there. Car- Cardenas, Cardenas, I'm not sure specifically how to uh, pronounce his name, but it sounds like it's coming down to Mizzou versus Vanderbilt on him. Haven't watched enough of him to give you a real indicator one way or the other on what I think of him as a player, but six foot 215, big back, cool, deal. Sign me up. They could use one of those guys. They really could. All their running backs are like 5'9 and shorter. Which there's nothing wrong with short guys, especially as a running back. You know, you scoot around and you're, you're tougher to find. I, I love it. But you do need a bigger guy. Michael Cox has been the big running back for the past two years. I and mean, just haven't used him all that much. You know, he used him a lot in 21 to great success, but he could not get on the field last year. So whatever. I, I like the bigger backs too. Um, so that I'd be intrigued to have that. And of course, you know, Northwestern, another smart kid school, another journalism school. Like, okay. Interesting. Um, but yeah. Yeah, he's got an interesting mix. It's Mizzou, Vandy, BYU, and Colorado. BYU is like, okay. As a kid out of Houston. He's also got offers. He, he must be a smart kid. He's got a Georgia Tech offer. He's got an SMU offer. Like, he's, he's got some of those on there as well. Private school kids. Yeah. He's got to see you at Colorado State, though. He must like the mountains. Look, man. You could, yeah, you could say that. You could say that, Colorado, Colorado State, you want you. You could say that's mountains. That's what we're saying. Um, but you know, hey, look, we just want some recruiting happens, right? I know there there's a there's a segment of the fan base where we feel like we're kind of bifurcated here, where it's like, it's June, we have three recruits, freak the hell out. And then it's sure. June, we have three recruits, eh, we trust them. You know, I just I want to see some progress. Let's get let's take the narrative away from whether we should freak out or not and move it to like, let's talk about those recruits. We, I think we've been pretty consistent. It's concerning that there's only three guys right now, but it's not a freakout time. If these announcements happen and nothing occurs, which that's not going to happen. Then yeah, but if they did, then it would be bad. Yeah. Nate, do you know how many other teams in the country have uh, three or fewer commits currently? <sighs> like 20? No. Is it five? No. Is it just Missouri? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just oh, no. the they are the only team in the country with fewer than five commits currently. So, like, they could get three commits and still be in the bottom ten nationally in how many commits they have currently. It's 
it's not freak out time, but they they could really use some serious momentum. The only other programs that have fewer than or five right now are Nevada, Fresno State, SMU, and Utah. So yeah, oops, that's no recruiting. That's that's where we're at. Oops, all portal. Uh, all right, give us a couple weeks. We'll we'll remedy the situation. Yeah, I mean, listen, like Huff is probably going to end up at Mizzou. It sounds like we think. Uh, Bodford's going to end up there. Keys, Madison, Rodriguez sounds like he's very likely. Let's say Hancock, given what his other offers are, I'm assuming he'll be a Mizzou guy. So that is six guys that are expected to commit to Mizzou at some point in the next three weeks. You'll have nine commits at that point. You'll be kind of in the national average. So you'll be all right. You just got to make sure that you get all of them. Like you can't, you can't miss on any of those guys. Please. Uh, it'll be fun. Next uh, next couple of weeks will be a lot of interesting rumblings around the recruiting front. Let's talk about college football at large, because, again, that's really the only Mizzou news we've got so far. Uh, so we'll talk about what some changes that have been occurring in the realm of college football. Let's first talk about National Letter of Intent. So that's in L-I, not N-I-L. We're talking N-L-I. We're talking Very- pieces of paper that you sign and you fax into the school saying, I am intending to attend, you know, this university to play football and kind of lock you into that commitment. So some changes came down today as far as national letter of intent. That is what we're talking about. If you remember, if you sign an NLI and then you look to back out of that, there is a penalty. You, you know, you cannot play for whatever school you go to next that year. You have to sit a year if you back out of your national letter of intent. The change that occurred, and this is going to be happening for the 24 season, 24-25 season, is that if a high school recruit is asking to get out of their national letter of intent because there is a head coaching change, then that one-year penalty is void. Similarly, if the player commits to the school, shows up on campus, and then leaves after one academic quarter or one academic semester, that penalty also does not apply. BK, this rule about, you know, NLIs and and leaving, it was never player-friendly. It was more just insurance for for the coaches and for the schools. So on the surface, this looks like a uh, a player empowerment move to free them up in the instance that their coach leaves. How do you feel about this news? So let's start with the NLI situation if your coach leaves. Is there a single person in America that's going to have a problem with this? Shouldn't be. Okay. I don't even know how that's arguable. Like, if you commit to a school, I know everybody would love to say you're committing to the school, not the coach. Just not true, man. It's just not true. If it was true, then it wouldn't matter who the coach is. And we know that it does matter who the coach is. And so, therefore, we can all agree, hey, man, that is a smart move. And honestly, it's kind of shocking that it took this long. to get. On the other side of things, think there's going to be some unintended consequences of the other part of this? I do. I do. So, this is one of those things where, like, sometimes the NCAA has good intentions and they have real bad results. And they build it again. Yeah, exactly. And where they're like, hey, everybody gets an extra year no matter what. 
and we're just going to pass this thing along and nobody knows what anybody's classification is for the next five years and like good luck and it's going to screw over every high school player in the country oh and by the way we're adding in nil and oh by the way we're adding in uh, the free transfer rule all at the same time it's the wild bus so anyways um if you can transfer at the end of your first year at semester for free and they're just like one-time transfer rule, boom, ready to go no matter what, dude, there's going to be a lot of kids that are leaving after one year because they feel like they did not get what they had earned. Um, and that is going to be something that is worth monitoring. That, that, that one, that one I'll be interested to see what kind of ramifications it will have. But like, how is that any different than what we're currently at with the transfer portal? Fair. That's my, th like, I, I read that, I was like, why is that a provision to add? Because they can already do that, at least once. I, at this point, I'm lost with the rules with the NCAA. Weren't they restricting it again? Wasn't that the plan, was that they were going to, like, pull it back? I don't know. <laughs> I I had not heard that, but if they are, that makes sense. I thought the plan was that you were going to get, like, I, maybe what this is is it's their way to start going towards a one-time transfer yeah. after your first year, and then if you want it again, you can get it after your grad year. I, dude, at this point, I don't know. I don't know how anybody keeps up with all these rules that the NCAA is implementing because they don't even keep up with them. They like, don't. if you told me that there's a player on Missouri's team, like one of the quarterbacks, for example. That loses out on the job and they transfer somewhere else. Garcia. Garcia's a great, perfect example of this. He's already used up his transfer. You think he's not going to be eligible this year if he goes somewhere else? Like, you really believe that? No. You honestly believe he wouldn't find a way to become an eligible player? Remember Chuck that. Hicks? He, like, randomly became eligible midway through the year. I was like, oh, mm -hmm. this guy's free. The only guy that can't figure it out is Bincy Polgar. <laughs> the only one. <laughs> he's he's got, was he's like, got, like, uh -uh. It's a class that don't transfer, but yes, you're right. You're right. Like, I don't know what the class was that you took, but that sewing class, uh-uh, not working at Mizzou. Every other player, though, they get it. So I, I don't know, man. I, it seems weird to me, but they, and what, what was your biggest takeaway? Biggest takeaway was kind of yours. Like, we should have had this implemented years ago, right? You know, we can't, you can't hold the players and the coaches to two different standards like coaches are going to leave all the time they're going to sell you a bag of goods and they're going to get the heck out when they have a better offer or they're going to try and bring you onto the campus and say hey you're going to salvage my job and then they get fired anyway it's like well i didn't i don't want to do that now like i think that's totally fair the players should have the freedom to do that and the ncaa had been a lot more lenient about cases like that in the past couple of years because of that exact same reason so this is it should have been, you know, put into granite years ago. Uh, and so I'm glad that's there. And as far as the second part, I'm like, well, if you're, if anyone can transfer once for free, then I don't know why this is the case. If they are pulling back on that for whatever reason, then I guess that makes sense. But man, you're telling me you got, as a coach, you got six months. You, you recruit this kid for like three years and then you have six months to make a good enough impression to not have him transfer after his freshman year. And that is rough. 18 year olds are not renowned for their decision making abilities. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see what changes uh, because of this. Because there's only a handful of freshmen that play every year. 
Uh, unless you're doing a hard reset with no portal. Like, uh, I don't know. That's interesting. But keeping keeping that that fake, like, fake timeline of either your freshman year or your graduate year also, like, I feel bad for, you know, the sophomores and juniors. You're like, no, I'm, I'm really going to give this a shot. And then they still can't crack the rotation. Like, no, let them transfer when they want to. Like, this is silly. Just give them one. To. G- give them one. They get it. Yes. And then there are, like, there can be exceptions. Don't get me wrong. There should be situations where, like, hey, man, my mom, super sick. I grew up in Kansas City. I went to the University of Texas. I would like to be closer to home. Can I get a waiver to go back to Columbia? Sure. We get it, man. That that makes a lot of sense that you would go ahead and do that. After you've transferred, like, you went to Texas, didn't work. Went to Oklahoma, didn't work. Now mom's sick. Let's go back home to Missouri. Sure. Get it. That makes sense, right? But in general, you get one, you get the grad transfer, that's it. That's it. I think that's totally reasonable, man. That's I don't cool. need to seek some kids that are transferring in it. This is a much bigger problem in basketball than it is for football. Sure. I mean, there are guys that are playing for six different programs in six different years in basketball. It's insane. It's absolutely insane what's going on right now. And I say that as somebody that, like, in general, I I agree with player empowerment. I think it's good that they are finally able to have some rights compared to what it used to be. But some of this stuff, man, is absolutely nuts. So basketball players, yeah. The fact that basketball players can play six years is crazy to me. Yeah, let's talk about nil again. That's the name, image, and likeness. We talked about playing this one. I hope you can explain this one. Yeah, I can. I can at least take us halfway there. Um, you want to talk about rules that make no sense? Let's talk about some rules that don't make any sense. Um. So. From Ross Dellinger, our favorite newsboy, Ross Dellinger. He works for SI. He obtained a memo. And I'm reading this because I want to get the words correct. The NCAA today strongly clarified its NIL policy by warning schools that, one, they must follow NCAA rules even if they conflict with state law. Yes. And number two, entities such as school foundations are prohibited from NIL and offering donor incentives for NIL giving. That's right. The NCAA wants you to break state laws to be NCAA blessed. That's what they want you to do. Now, they're doing this because states like Missouri have passed NIL laws to be very generous, very liberal towards high school recruits, towards the players, to give them a little bit of a leg up in recruiting while other states are not having those rules in the books, right? That's why Missouri did it. That's why other states have legislation similar to that in their dockets as well. And the NCAA stated up and say, no, no, no. You need to follow our rules that somehow supersede the law of the land so that you can play a game. Okay. Like, if... I'm, th- I am know what the outcome is going to be. It's going to be a school saying, F you, sue me. And see what happens. And there's going to be a state legislature 
for the state school, you see how those two are connected, uh, that is going to go to bat and fight for them. So good luck in CAA. I mean, BK, on, on the hierarchy of dumbest things that they have tried to pass or have passed, where does this rank on the Mount Rushmore? So the thing is, like, in theory, what they're saying makes total sense. Unfortunately, they waited until they allowed every state to go ahead and do their own thing. They had no plan with NIL. That's the truth. They had no plan whatsoever. How they knew they were zero plan. They knew they were screwed when it came to all of the lawsuits that were coming against them. And so they said, go, just like, we're done. We can't do anything. We don't know what to do. You guys are mad. We're losing. Like, you win. Go, just go make all of your money. Figure it out. We'll kind of, we'll roll with the punches here. Unfortunately, when you do something like that, and you know, there's billions of dollars at stake, um, bad actors are going to emerge and unintended consequences are going to take place. And so what happened, um, is that a lot of schools that care very deeply about the whole football thing or the whole basketball thing that brings them a lot of pride, they took this very seriously. And so Missouri, Texas, Oklahoma, New York have passed state laws that they believe gives them a competitive advantage when it comes to football recruiting. And so guess what those football coaches are going to do? They're going to use that to their advantage. And so now after, what has it been, four years, five years of NIL being implemented, we still have no idea what the actual rules are, who is enforcing those rules, how they are being enforced, and what is going to be done long-term to keep this thing within some guardrails. Because for as much as I agree that these guys, these athletes, these men and women, boys, girls, whatever, they are deserving of whatever comes their way, money-wise. And it took way too long to get there. There has to be more in terms of guidelines to making sure that this stuff is enforced correctly. And I, the NCAA can't be the one to do it because they're incapable of doing it, as we have seen time and time and time again. It's going to take a long time to figure this out, and it may never happen, but it is something that is eventually going to be necessary if these college programs want any sort of legitimate guidelines and observations on what's taking place. I'll, I'll give the NCAA credit. Like Mark Emmert was asleep at the wheel for 20 years and just had no interest in fighting that battle. He was like, I'm retiring in two years. Like you all figure it out. Then I respect it. I respect the don't, don't do your job and just sail off into the sunset. That's why they got Charlie Baker politician, former governor of Massachusetts, like familiar with the legislative process. And now he's in, and he's like, no, 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 no. Our, 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 our old sleepy president, Mark Emmert, he, he did not do anything correctly. I am going to use my connections, you know, my, my legislative experience to try and start cracking down on this stuff. But it's, yeah, it's, it's too late, man. Like toothpaste is out of the tube. You are coming in three days late. Uh, there's nothing, there's nothing to clean up here. It's, it's done and you can try and you know, you know, maybe, I guess federal NIL law would be the thing that could actually clean this up, but until it is, and they're like, 
three or four bills out there that who knows which one gets passed if it gets passed but like until then states are just gonna zip that stuff through especially if they care about it like you said and it's already there so like i'm i'm sorry charlie like i'm sorry ncaa you can say whatever you want but you cannot convince me that you supersede state law and you cannot tell me that a state is not is, is not going to let their school do what the laws in their state say they can do like you can't convince me otherwise. And so you start litigation, and then who's going to end up on top there? It's probably going to be the state, frankly. So the, the Supreme Court's been licking their chops to have the NCAA right back in front of them since they did the bitch slap of 9 nothing on them. So, yeah, I I think this is what this is. They are just gearing up for another fight, and they're going to lose it. So if this is all just you know some kabuki dance to say that we're doing things, like you're earning your paycheck, that's fine. But the NCAA has been toothless for the past five years, and this is not changing. This is just, this is just fluff. It's just news. So, I don't think anything serious is going to come of it. And if it does, then we'll just get a new Supreme Court decision, and that's the end of it. Along those lines, though, it's not a really interesting comment. Did you read uh, the interview with Mike Loxley? A couple, I don't know. Here's like a well, you go. Okay, so. Uh, Mike Loxley is the head coach of the Maryland Terrapin football team. He used to be the offensive coordinator at Alabama. Um, he's he's a very tenured coach. He's been around for a long time. Um, but he was being interviewed by uh, Mandel. Um, Stuart Mandel. There we go. Woo. And a brain fart. Uh, talking about the, the Terps in the upcoming year. And, of course, you know, Loxley's saying, you know, we, well, we got some, some big investments. So, um, I guess Maryland last year – just got a brand new $149 million football facility. Uh, and Mike Loxley was like less than enthused to talk about it. <laughs> I guess Stuart Mandel could kind of pick up. And so he said, you know, what what, what are your thoughts on it? And Mike Loxley, I'm just going to read this word for word. Mike Loxley said, unfortunately, we moved in at a time when facilities have been de-emphasized in a recruit's mind because they get dressed in the trash can for $25,000 and uh, yeah, Mike, I think you're right. I, you know, look look at the NFL. BK, you know this NFL locker rooms facilities trash compared to what you see at the college level. That's why these players go back to their college to work out in the off season because the weight room and facilities in the NFL are just a, the bare minimum of what you need to get yep. by because you don't recruit. You're not you're not recruiting based on facilities. The only reason facilities are great in college is because you recruit to them. The reason that facilities are great at I mean, we talked about this a couple episodes ago, right? Like what drew me to Mizzou was the student center, the rec center, and KOMU. Those are facilities. That that's what drew me as a young, stupid, dumb 18-year-old to Mizzou. The same thing's true for a lot of these kids. They see the bright, shiny object, and they're like, oh, go do that. Uh, but I do find this to be interesting. I had not seen that article or this specific comment. Um, the incentives have changed. Now, much like in the NFL or in Major League Baseball, where the incentive is, hey, man, I'm going to the highest bidder. Like, one team's offering me a five-year deal worth $20 million per year. The other team is offering me a three-year deal worth $22 million per year. So I get a little more on average, 
but I don't get that five-year security. I'm going to the place that I'm getting the five years and a hundred and whatever, a hundred million dollars of layout. So I think that's part of what's happening in college football right now. It's not explaining all of it, but um, some teams are able to offer more money. And so it does become a question, and this was always the likely logical ending point of if you're a donor, where is my money best served? Does it make sense for me to spend money on a new facility? Does it make sense to me to spend money on this stadium? Or is it better for us to just pool our money together to get the best players? And that's how we put the best team together on the field. And that's where this is going to end up going. Eventually. Yep, that's exactly it. And right now, you know, it's it's a little bit of an influx because there are projects that are have tied up money right now. There are schools who have invested, you know, five years ago and they need to execute on the construction. So we are not at a point where facilities have been de-emphasized across the board. My thought when I when I was reading this, because I I know I know you and I have talked about this before. I don't think we've talked about it on the air. So I'm just gonna say it out loud again. Again, no knowing that nothing is confirmed, everything is conjecture, but the most consistent reporting. The most, like, we feel the best about this number is that a team like a Georgia, like an Alabama, like an Ohio State is spending somewhere between three and four million dollars on their roster of 120 guys. Okay. You do the math on that. Let's say four million between 120 players. That is surprisingly affordable. And you just spent Maryland just spent 150 million on a facility. How many recruits could you buy with 150 million dollars over five years? Could Maryland be really good by doing that instead? You bet. So if you, my thought is, in the next couple of years, is there going to be a school that says, "Look, we know we can pony up the cash to buy out our coach that we're going to fire and hire a new one for." $5 million. We know we have the money for that. Fire the old guy, get the new guy in for $5 million. What if that school said instead, buy out the old guy, we're going to hire the new guy at $2 million and have that $3 million available to buy a roster? And you tell the coach that. Maybe he's a young guy, maybe he's an old guy. I don't know. But you say, this is our plan. You want to get a natty? We're going to give you two or to split the three amongst the 120 kids on your team so you can buy good players. I don't know if that's a reasonable strategy or if anyone's going to do that, but Mike Loxley's comments made me think about it. What do you think? I think they're just going to put more money in. I don't think it's coming from the coaches. I think it's going to be coming from the donors because we know how this works, man. They just want all the money. Like The, the coaches want the money, players want the money, and the donors are willing to give the money for a winning product. And there's less. Like, this is cheaper than what it used to be. It is. In the 2000s, it was like, hey, we need $150 million <laughs> to make this uh, financial plan feasible for our program. And they did it. Like, they found a way to make it happen. And some of these were privately financed. Many of them were like a partnership between the finances from the donors plus some of the revenue that was coming in, but whatever. Um, this is something where the the other, on your point of the roster being relatively cheap, the other thing to keep in mind, you mentioned how it's like 120 players. 
like 10 of them are making real money though. Yeah, that's basically it. And, and that, that's the thing to keep in mind too is like, you got to have a quarterback. So the quarterback's going to get paid at a really high level. You're going to pay an edge rusher, corner, wide receiver, Almost maybe a tackle. Yeah. That's kind of it, right? So like you're going to be paying five to 10 guys real money on your team. And then everybody else gets a little something because you got to build some depth and whatnot. But the roster building is going to look like the NFL where there's a salary cap in the NFL and you've got to decide, okay, how are we divvying up our money? And it's going to be, I didn't work out for him, but Herm Edwards was kind of starting this at Arizona state where he had like a general manager mm-hmm. in charge of their recruiting purposes. I, I think that's going to be the type of position that college football teams are going to eventually need where you do have to kind of go through your roster. And it's not just about the scholarships anymore. It is now about how are we allocating our money? What makes sense for us? How do we make sure that we have money that's filtering through by year and not just by position? Like if you have a stud sophomore quarterback, does it make sense to spend in the next class? Or do you wait until the next, next class? on that next quarterback. Those are going to be the kinds of things that teams are having to kind of filter through. And I think it's already starting to happen. Just it's going to be at a greater degree. Soon. Clark Lee at Vanderbilt is doing that right now. He has a, excuse me, he has a general manager and he is a director of player personnel. He used to be, who used to run 247. So Barton Simmons does all the recruiting. I forget the other guy's name, but he does all the general manager stuff like hiring, firing, coach meetings, stuff like that. All Clark Lee has to do is get wheeled out for the occasional golf thing, you know, charity thing, do a couple of radio hits, but all he's got to do is coach football, man. And really, he's just coaching the coaches. And he is freed up to do all of that. And then these other guys who are making a lot less than him just have to handle recruiting, just have to handle team management. I think that's absolutely the way that it's going to go going forward because there's just you're getting pulled in too many directions. You're not going to have, you know, a Gary Pinkle who was just an old football coach. You're not going to have a Mac Brown. Well, you probably have more Mac Browns who are like, like chiefs of state, but like, you know, you're not going to have like the football guy. That's not going to Clay Helton at USC. Famous example, football coach, sure. not a rep, not, not a, not a, not a personnel guy, like just football coach. So like, you're going to see football coaches who love the sport, probably in the G five ranks. And you're going to have a little bit of the narcissistic, like, a little bit of personality disorder kind of guys up in the P5 ranks who can do a lot of different things and maybe aren't super great at the football part, but can do all the people management, all the PR stuff. I think that is the potential of where this can go. And then you find a bunch of guys to do all the other work and it's just going to be the NFL junior, baby. Aren't you excited? It's been that to a degree for a really long time. And it's oh, just, it's, it's right now that that's, the games have been melding closer and closer together for years, and that's both on and off the field, and now it's just becoming that to an even greater degree. Well, who knows how long it's going to take for that to be a thing, and if it even works. You know, if, you're, if your examples are Herm Edwards and Clark Lee at Vanderbilt, maybe this doesn't take off. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just the, the evolution of this sport, especially in the last 10 years, has just been through the roof. Um, so here, here we are. 
Uh, but that's it. You know, it's we don't have a whole lot to talk about. I'm out of things. Are you out of things? Are you done with your with your talk? That's it, man. Uh, I will be curious to see what happens on the recruiting trail. Full disclosure, I will probably be gone on the next show that we do. Uh, my wife and I are expecting a baby boy in the next week or two. So if that is indeed the case, here's to hoping you and whoever is with you, Nate, will have seven different commitments to break down the next time that you guys are on the air. And uh, I will certainly be talking with you guys very, very soon with a lot of sleep deprivation. I was going to say, man, like you got you got six days to do all the cocaine that you wanted to do, uh, and then you can't do that anymore. So there you go. Get it out of your system, baby. Uh, but yeah, that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Leave a comment or rate us. We love all types of feedback from you guys. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. Of course, you can follow the Rockin flagship at Rockin Nation and the podcasting outlet at Rockin Radio. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Rock M Radio, a proud partner of Fans First Sports Network. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to see more just like it beamed directly into your personal device, just click the subscribe button below. And you can find this podcast through the Apple Podcast app or for iPhone or the Google Podcast app for Android or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. Uh, we are also available on Spotify. Just search for Rock M Radio. Uh, and if you like other sports, Fans First Sports Network uh, is a podcast network that has coverage of all other teams, Major League Baseball, MLS, NFL, whatever you want to listen and, and read about. It is a great, great network full of really fantastic podcasts. So look them up and subscribe uh, to any and all of those podcasts. Rock M Radio will be back with more episodes coming soon. Thanks. Thanks.